This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 341 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's crushing victory in the Revier Derby and we will preview Wednesday's Champions League tie against Zenit St. Petersburg. For all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias. Derby-Sieger Matthias. Yeah, uh, tired, <laughs> snowed in, cold... Um, but, uh, yeah, very, very happy. I could, I mean, it's a great weekend as a Dortmund fan. I'm going to ignore all other sports and all other teams and just focus on the Bundesliga <laughs> and Borussia Dortmund. How are you, Stefan? Yeah, uh, better than, uh, Andy Dalton. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know you're a Cowboys fan. It probably wasn't your weekend, was it? Um, well, I mean, how can you lose to a team literally called the football team? I mean... Jeez. Well, <laughs> well it's, uh, I, I, I think uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, not that I'm a big fan, but I think they're in the lead in the NFC East with like uh, Only because they had a tie. And a tie. Because <laughs> they had a tie. <laughs> like, who gets a tie in football? All right, so we've got the weather update and the NFL update out of the way. Maybe it's time for our sponsor segment. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. All right, this episode is sponsored by Jordan Hunt, who uh, is encouraging us to have a Jaden Central discussion and about his form down the line, which uh, most certainly we will have. And uh, it's also sponsored by Nicolas Marquardt and George Clark and Thomas. So everyone out there, thank you so much for supporting us. And uh, obviously, the euphoria of a derby win is uh, <laughs> making inroads here. Um, if you want to sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash for more information. And now it is time to dive into the derby win. Matthias, it was a very calm, almost serene 3-0 blowout, I would say. Schalke were utterly utterly without a chance so what are your main takeaways i'll just ask very generally well you know um it, the takeaway is that uh, my newborn son james slept through the whole thing on my arm i think that says a lot about how relaxing this experience was and calming and soothing um i mean it was uh, you know Having been a Dortmund supporter for as long as I have been, I don't remember a Revier Derby where I was less nervous. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't nervous. I turned it on. I'm like, okay, let's let's watch this. And it was just, you know, I mean, even though Dortmund didn't score uh, in the first half, I was never worried watching the way Dortmund played, uh, the way Schalke tried to maybe kind of play. Um it, it just, yeah, I was like, ah, Dolman's going to win this one. I'm going to score a couple of goals. This is going to be an easy-peasy um, 
training match almost. And that's really what it was. I mean, Schalke are are legitimately that bad. Um, Dortmund are good. Uh, Schalke made them look exceptionally good. Um, but uh, Schalke are just really, really, really bad. Yeah, especially on the ball, Schalke have pretty much zero things going forward for them. So, um, yeah, it was almost expected. I mean, I was a little nervous about some lucky set piece. You know, sometimes Schalke do have that dumbfounded luck where you absolutely have no idea where it's coming from. But, you know, a set piece or some weird deflected shot or something can happen. Yeah, but they don't have Daniel Caligiuri. So Caligiuri, he got his set piece (laughs) goal against Dortmund and it was not for Schalke. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) But... uh, what I was going to say is that uh, Dortmund sometimes also famously trip over their own dicks, so uh, sometimes that happens too, where they should easily beat Schalke and then somehow find a way to not do that. But uh, yeah, this Schalke team doesn't even have the capability to make Dortmund trip up, to be honest. So um, yeah, that was a, a very soothing game, I would say. Um, I think there needs to be a slight disclaimer. I think most listeners would agree that this is not the 100% derby feeling that you usually would have since the stadium is pretty much empty and there are like 300 fans or so in there. Um, So usually ahead of a derby, at least a whole week, you you kind of sense the anticipation and it's, it's an important game and you... Uh, really, you know, almost uh, anxious that you will be the one coming out on top so you have all the banter on your side, etc. I feel like right now this this just the whole derby feeling just isn't as high. So, um, but that being said, it was still a nice game and uh, maybe it probably would have been uh, more uh, exhilarating had it been a full stadium. But uh, the, the way it is... Um, it was sort of a perfect smooth sailing game for Dortmund. And um, so I guess let's talk about how um, Lucien Favre changed his team a little bit. He switched from a back three to a big back four. I mean, I think he already finished out the game against Lazio with a back four. But this time, um, Manuel Akanji was back after overcoming his uh, COVID-19 diagnosis and the quarantine. And he slotted in next to Mats Hummels. And on the left, you had Rafa Guerrero, who probably had one of the better games. And uh, uh, Thomas Meunier, who also had a solid performance. And then in the defensive midfield, we had Mahmoud Dahoud and Thomas Delaney. And then in the uh, number 10, Julian Brandt. And that coupled with Gio Reyna and Jaden Sancho. And up front, obviously, Arling Haaland. So, Matthias... Um, setup-wise, what did you make of this? What worked well for Dortmund with this system and what didn't work so well? Well, I mean, given the nature of this Schalke team, uh, it was actually the right time to switch to a back four. Uh, the only thing that going into it, seeing it, that I was a little concerned about was maybe pace exploitation because Rabi Matondo is extremely fast. But when I saw him get outpaced by Manuel Akanji, I was like, nah, we're good. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, this is... uh, And then, you know, Benito Raman coming on. It's like the guy can't even score if he... Well, I guess he tries to, but he can't score. Uh, Paciencia had like one shot, I think. And that was really it. Um, So it worked well. Dortmund were able to 
really stifle anything that Schalke tried to get going in central midfield. Um, you know, pressing-wise, Dortmund played, I thought, actually quite well. Uh, they passed out of the press exceptionally well. I mean, uh, Schalke tried in the beginning to press really high, did so situationally, and Dortmund just passed around them as if they weren't even there, um, which was really... If there was a time for them to step on certain anatomy parts, as you uh, so eloquently put it, uh, that probably would have been the time, uh, but uh, it didn't happen. And I think what helps is you have both Mats Hummels and Manuel Akanji playing in their preferred natural positions, left-sided central de- defender and right-sided central defender. And really, yeah, I mean, I guess he could have gone with a back, three and then you know Akanji on the left and Pishek on the right but you know now everyone really slotted in into their natural preferred position I think uh, once Agadu is back or maybe even once Emre Can um, is back which will be a few weeks now due to his COVID-19 quarantine and diagnosis uh, I think they may fall go back to a back three but it really depends on how they play in the next few weeks with this back four um I mean, I don't know if Bielefeld's going to be the massive bar to test it, but uh, St. Petersburg definitely could be one. But I thought everybody played naturally, played really well. Uh, Delaney, just loved the guy. Dahoud, to me, had one of the best games he's had at Dortmund. Uh, He really controlled the passing, controlled and dictated the tempo. Didn't play his Hollywood balls he likes to do at times that don't quite make it. Um, no, and honestly, overall, everybody played quite well. I I don't really have any complaints. I think Gio Reyna played a little bit better than Jaden Sancho. Um, but marginally, you know, Holland is Holland. (laughs) You know, as long as you don't put a gif of his goal celebration in your tweet, you'll be fine. Um, but other than that, I, no, I think Dortmund did well. It was maybe a bit risk, but not against the Schalke side. I mean, this team, Schalke, is just non-existent. Yeah, I mean, if there's one criticism to make is that Dortmund needed an awful long time to really get going. I mean, uh, the first goal was scored in the 55th minute. I could make the case that if you mount the pressure a little bit higher and try a little harder in the first half, you can already score against this Schalke team. I mean... Um, I think you correctly pointed out that Dortmund uh, were really good at playing around Schalke's pressing and uh, this is probably (laughs) the biggest improvement between uh, the Schalke game and the Lazio game because uh, famously that already fell apart after like six minutes. So um, yeah, that was definitely much better. That being said, um, I think that Schalke overall were much more timid. I mean, they're... um, wingbacks since they were playing with a back three slash back five um didn't really advance as high i mean kilian ludovic who is their right wing back hardly ever crossed the halfway line and uh, bastiano chipka was also not as uh, offensively um as as uh, he often has been in his past so um that was very manuel baum like i would say that you just focus on on keeping uh a, a very solid and organized defense and then you know hope and pray that at some point uh, there are some counterattacks that fall your way or the opponent makes a mistake or so but uh yeah that that Schalke team was really focused against uh, the ball and not not trying to do too many things on the ball 
Um, that being said, what I find interesting is despite um, Guerrero playing against Ludovic and Ludovic not pressing as much as I said, he he did press Guerrero often, and which which is why um, Guerrero in this game um, had uh, the most passes under pressure, um, which were 14, uh, leading the team with that. Um, and and while I'm here, because Guerrero to me had such an exceptional game, um, he was leading the team in touches with 148. He was leading the team in uh, progressive passing yards, uh, 791, and also progressive carries in 329 yards. So um, overall, he had a very good game when it comes to um, being the offensive outlet for Dortmund and and getting things going. Um, He's obviously a very intelligent player, and we have uh, said that repeatedly. I mean, Dortmund needs Guerrero in this form to, to get some spark. Um, that being said, I also liked, uh, you know, how involved he was in the combination play, and it's quite uh, normal of Dortmund to clock up the left side of the field, uh, then you know, to free up stuff on the on on the right side. Um, this is probably why he uh, faced the most passes under pressure, not because uh, he was pressed uh, on the I don't know halfway line by Ludovic, but because he was already in the final third. Um, so yeah, Rafael Guerrero with a really um, solid game, I would say. And uh, as as you've already pointed out, Dahoud, I don't know if it was his best game for Dortmund, but it was definitely a great game. And uh, Lars and I in the preview show have uh, bickered a little bit about um, Axel Witzel and uh, the uh, lack of aggressiveness he shows off the ball and how he slows everything down when he's on the ball and the double pivot of Delaney and Dahoud I think really worked like a charm and either confirms that Lucien Favre is an avid Yellow Wallpot listener or just uh, that we are not completely blind in our analysis and uh, it's a little bit in lockstep of uh, what the coaching team is observing so um, I think that was a that was a key change um, because Dahoud um, was leading the team in, in pressures and uh, Side, side nudge to Jordan Hunt um, because he wanted to know about Jaden Sancho and Jaden Sancho had 10 pressures so um, that's that's where I would say why Jaden Sancho improved um, over other games because he was really involved and when you see Sancho press opponents and backtrack I think he tends to have better games but uh, back to Dahoud I thought um, his aggressiveness um, how how he pressed and how, how quickly he distributed the ball really helped Dortmund out a lot and, and made things far more uncomfortable for Schalke and really um, also helped to pin them down. And obviously, when you have the aggressive Delaney next to you, um, that's that just uh, makes it so much harder for a team like Schalke that can hardly control a ball, you know, where where everyone has the uh, <laughs> the trampoline touch, basically. Um it's it's really hard for Schalke to retain the ball in in midfield and, and play through there, especially when uh, Dortmund lost the ball um, around Schalke's box. It really took just a couple of seconds until they had regained possession, and this is how you really dominate an opponent. And that's exactly why Dortmund had seventy five or seventy four or seventy three, however, it's measured uh, percent of possession. So um, I was really happy with that setup, and um, I will add, and obviously this only probably counts for a game against Schalke where the opponent is this crap. Um, but Julian Brandt had a decent game and uh, obviously in the number 10 role, um, there is way more he can do 
then as a number eight because uh, his uh, defensive responsibility isn't as high, I would say, even though uh, in a high-profile game the number 10 still has to work a lot, but at least uh, for for this kind of scenario, um, especially with the Hoot and Delaney behind him, um, he can focus a little bit more on the uh, classic playmaking style, and um, even though he didn't get a goal or an assist, I still think he helped this team uh, create gaps and spaces and uh, I think the the stat that uh, says a lot about his game is that he's leading the team in switches of play with four so um, yeah also very very happy about him so yeah Matthias do you think that this double pivot or this setup with uh, Brandt as a number 10 and Dahoud and Delaney behind is something we'll get to see more often? Well, I mean, if uh, Favre decides to continue with the back four, it, it does make sense. It's a very natural position for Julian Brandt. Um, it does help uh, press the opposition a little bit more because you're obviously in a more advanced position to begin with. Um, you know, it just depends on consistency. I mean, Delaney is very consistent in what he brings. Dahut hasn't necessarily doesn't have the track record of consistency, but maybe this is a kind of match and you build upon it to bring that in. Obviously, in a couple of weeks, you'll have Emre Can back, and then the it's time to make a decision. Back three, back four, double pivot, single pivot with two eights ahead of it. That's, that's really the decision that has to be made. But I believe, at least for the next, as long as Emre Can is in quarantine, um, then I would be surprised if we don't see the Delaney Dahoud double pivot um, quite often, uh, if not all the time. Yeah, what I will say about Brandt is that uh, his, uh, you know, him playing on the number ten position is obviously always in uh, danger in jeopardy due to Marco Royce being fit and healthy right now. I mean, he was rested for this game for for most parts and uh, brought on later. But uh, you know, it's um, yeah, it's interesting how um, many options we have in this time. Schalke actually made all five substitutions. But um, before we or uh, while I'm highlighting individual um, players, I also would like to highlight that Thomas Munier finally had a good game. I mean, he was pretty awful in uh, in in previous matches or just. I guess solid, but I thought in this one he was a little more than solid. I thought he really had a good game, um, even though um, he is not the uh, perfect fit, I guess, for uh, out-and-out right-back, but uh, I still think against Schalke, where there was so little threat for him defensively, um, he shut Schalke down, he got a very important block where uh, I think Schalke had pretty much the only shot, which may have gone on target, who knows. Um, and obviously he created that chance for Giorena, who then had it a little wide. I think that was a really nice uh, outside-of-the-boot cross. Um, so, yeah, um, I think he also probably should have scored. Yeah, he forced uh, Renault to a really good save. So, um, yeah, it was a very solid performance, and uh, I like that he wasn't just sticking to the right back position way of this but was uh, floating around uh, as uh, Schalke's numbers allowed it and so that that speaks to some positional awareness that he has and some uh, footballing IQ at least from the positional standpoint so um, 
since he has been harped on relentlessly in the, in the past games and very often it was justified i think uh, now it's also time to highlight uh, that he had a good game in in the Riviera derby which uh, um yeah is always a positive so yeah and obviously also good for dortmund's overall structure that manuel kanji is back i mean obviously he had the highest pass completion with 96 passes because his uh, passes are maybe not as risky as hummels um, and it was good to see that both Hummels and Akanji both uh, dribbled with the ball forward every now and then, just because uh, against a deep-sitting opponent like Schalke, you can do that. And uh, yeah, uh, so I'm I'm very happy with that. And obviously Akanji then uh, scores the first goal for Dortmund. And uh, Matthias, I f- I thought it was nice to see a that Dortmund scored two set-piece goals and b set piece goals that looked trained huh yeah yeah i mean it, it helped with the Hummels goal that uh i don't i mean was there anybody even near him i don't remember it was i think i think that was the most open i've seen mats Hummels header from a set piece and and i always feel like usually when a player is that wide open they tend to completely shank it but it was nice to see because that's been a criticism for a while with Dortmund, a set piece defending, but I feel like that's gotten better. But then set piece scoring, um, I don't know if that's just not a major focus um, or or what, but it was it was very, it made me rather optimistic. Um, I don't think, you know, it's not one of those games where, you know, Dortmund needed necessarily set pieces to beat a tough, deep-sitting, disciplined side. So then it's even nicer, you know. I mean, it was just kind of um, uh, complementary to the overall performance and just leaves you feeling warm on these cold fall days. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, the the second goal was... Uh Kind of funny because Haaland was standing there in midfield with the ball and then was sort of just waiting for Sancho. I think he even said after the game that he was uh, waiting for Sancho to make a run so he could play a through ball. But uh, then uh, Haaland said that Sancho doesn't like to sprint. So uh, basically it was a one-two moment. And then, uh, yeah, it was really perfectly put on a platter and that chip. My word, it's just, that's, that's just work class. The way he takes the ball with him and then has a couple more steps and then chips it over the keeper. Um, yeah, pretty insane goal to score. <laughs> and it's it's I really mean, nice how, how well he's doing these. I mean, obviously he can improve by doing it even more regularly, but God. He's one of the most naturally gifted goal scorers I have ever seen. Uh, there's only one other that, I mean, <laughs> taking the Ronaldos and stuff like that out... Uh, one other player of of the generation that I've seen uh, that that's more gifted or or as gifted, and that's another former Dortmund player in Lewandowski. I mean, it's it's like it's almost automatic with these guys when they get in and around um, the box that they're a going to take a shot. It's usually going to be on target. And then oftentimes it's going to be a goal. Whereas there are other players that have played for Dortmund in the past, uh, Nelson Valdez, uh, where <laughs> they could be standing completely alone and never score. So, um, he's definitely not a chance and tot. He is definitely a guy that you're surprised when he doesn't score, 
versus other players where you're a little surprised when they actually do score. I think what Dortmund is still doing wrong is playing the ball and not often enough to him. I still think there are a lot of situations where you can feed him the ball just vertically. Um, I mean, obviously, that's one of my main gripes so far this season that Dortmund play things really slowly and you can often see, you know, on the edge of the screen, Haaland <laughs> is running into space behind the back line and then at the same time, um, on the other edge of the screen, you see uh, Dortmund's defender receiving the ball <laughs> as it's being a back pass and then Haaland uh, uh, sometimes, you know, visibly is frustrated with his teammates that he didn't get a pass or whatever. But, um, you know, I I think, um, you know, obviously you don't have to go for the Hollywood pass every now and then, but still... Um, I, I, I think that uh, sometimes a very easy vertical pass to Haaland uh, helps more than it hurts. And sometimes I, I think Dortmund are a little bit too timid or just don't see it. So um, there needs to be a, like a Haaland awareness <laughs> program for his runs <laughs> so that Dortmund players yeah. <laughs> uh, find him even more frequently because he's just that good. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's where kind of a central passing axis of Hummels, Dahut, and Brandt helps Holland because those are players that will look for the forward, vertical, more high-risk pass more often than if you do have um, Axel Witzel, who is definitely more the play-the-safe-pass option. Um you know, I've, it's funny when you have Witzel and Emre Can play next to each other. Chan is the more expressive passer of the two because he's just more aggressive by nature. Um, Delaney is obviously the recycler when he's next to Dahoud, and that makes sense. You can't have two guys playing those kind of passes because you're just going to get into trouble. Um, but when you have that more expressive passing, because obviously Hummels likes to do it, and he has the best vision given also his position on the pitch. Um you know, less likely to get pressured. He can see the runs early enough and can play some of the most brilliant passes I have ever seen, not just for a central defender, but in general. And that's what I believe, um, not to shock people, but to compliment Mahmoud Tahut, that is one of the key <laughs> attributes that he brings over in Axel Witzel is his willingness to play that ball. He needs to be better at it at times. Yeah, and he needs to aim a little lower. <laughs> yes, he needs to aim a little bit lower. But um, he's at least willing to do it. And he's obviously not Gunuan. Gunuan was one of the best at those types of passes ever, period. Um, but he's he's kind of, he's, he's getting there. He's, he's had a few matches where I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can see wh where it's going. And if he has the right support people around him where he's not completely left alone... So a hard, a real hard worker next to him who doesn't mind running into the spaces that get opened up due to uh, an attempted high-risk pass that doesn't pay off, like a Delaney or a Chan. I think that's the kind of situation where Dahoud can definitely flourish. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've talked about the uh, aggression that he brings to the table and uh, say if you need to be a bit more aggressive, you switch out Brand for Royce and then uh, you will have a lot of... Uh, counter-pressing going on for you just automatically and I think that's a, a good thing to have you know we haven't even talked about Jude Bellingham this entire time um, who obviously is also really good at uh, playing in, in midfield and just uh, um, yeah sort of describes the plethora of options that Dortmund have right now um, 
Yeah, I would struggle to take Dahoud out for the next game. Um, maybe Favre does it anyway, but uh, I think he has deserved to play another round at least and, and show that he can do the same uh, against Init. And, uh, you know, we've talked about consistency. This is, I guess, how you build it. Uh, so yeah, um, I'm I'm very pleased with that. I'm also pleased with um, the way Dortmund tried to unlock Schalke and uh, how they had far more answers this time. Just to highlight one stat in the entire game, even though Schalke were super defensive with their low block, and one, Dortmund only had a total of six crosses. Um, it was 13 against Lazio, just for context. So um, yeah, a lot more happening through Dortmund's middle and um, yeah I think that was very positive overall obviously um, if you score earlier and if you go for it a little harder I think this could have been an absolute blowout again could have been a 6-0 7-0 I don't know because the Schalke team at some point will fall apart but I mean credit a little bit to Schalke because um, if I remember their uh, first game of the season against Bayern, where they lost 8 nothing, um, they were not only terrible, but they were also naive in how far they pushed out and how often they ran into a counterattack. And that being said, in that game, they were also a little bit more hopeful. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, the first five minutes against Bayern, Schalke looked really good. You know, they were pressing, they were winning things and um, uh, winning the ball and, and having... Uh, counter attacks and and i think almost scored but in the end uh, yeah they were completely picked apart and uh, this schalke is a bit more disillusioned about their own uh yeah skills let's say so i guess that helps in that regard that they know what they're able to do and what they're not able to do so um instead of losing 6-0 schalke are, are losing 3-0 so this is pretty much <laughs> for them pretty good. I mean, um, Dortmund so far this season, I think, haven't even scored once in the first half. So this is definitely still room for improvement there for Dortmund and to, to up the ante right from the start and not uh, basically trying to feel out the opponent. Um, you know, the old Favre prey of patience is a little annoying in that regard but uh, I mean if you win this serenely you can complain but uh, when you think back to the Lazio game you definitely can so um, yeah there are two sides of that medal but um, obviously for for this kind of game I think it's almost perfect because as you said Dortmund built really calmly out of the back um, hardly give away the ball in a, in, in a stupid way make it really hard for Schalke to pounce on errors because there are very few and then, of course, eventually you will just score due to being the better team. And, uh, you know, with that really nice set-piece design where, uh, you know, I think Guerrero ended up with the shot, which was saved, and then uh, um, Akanji, obviously, uh, with the tap-in. I, I think that's that's quite quite a nice and, and solid game, and obviously Dortmund are still third in the, in the table and, uh, you know, collecting the very necessary points. So... For a derby performance, as you said, Matthias, uh, very pleased. Um, any any other points you want to make on this game that I haven't mentioned yet? No, I uh, I think we've covered it rather thoroughly. I think um, you know if Schalke uh, wants to not get relegated this season. <laughs> 
uh, they need to actually have an idea at some point. I mean, it was like, you know, Manuel Baum is the former coach for Augsburg and Schalke are like a crappy Augsburg. Um, and they, they try to play like Augsburg, but they're not good enough as a team. They don't have the right players uh, to play like Augsburg. Uh, I don't know if that's positive for Augsburg or negative for Schalke. I'll let everybody decide that for themselves. But this is not going to save them. Uh, what's going to save them at this rate is the fact that there are other teams, specifically like Köln, uh, Mainz, that are just really, really bad. Um, but at least those teams do occasionally score a goal or get a shot on target. Uh, Schalke don't even have that. And <laughs> so it's, um, I don't really know where they're going to go with this. I don't know. I mean, can they not get relegated? Sure. Uh, but they need to change a lot quickly. Otherwise, Schalke will be playing in the Zweite Bundesliga next season. It's that plain and simple. At this point, they are hapless. And, you know, Manuel Baum talking about, you know, becoming more solid, and that's why he got brought in. He's probably the best coach they could get, given what they are anymore these days. But um, even that wasn't there. If you're going to play defensive, you better play like Augsburg did against Dortmund. Disciplined and ruthless. And Schalke are just not that. I mean, you can't play defensive and then leave gaps. I mean, that's just like, you're just asking to get your ass kicked at that point. And I think that Schalke, I know you mentioned it's not a real, it wasn't really a derby because of the lack of atmosphere. I think Schalke can be thankful for that. I think had it been a full stadium of chanting Dortmund supporters, I think players like Erling Haaland would be even more pushed. And I think they would have blown Schalke away with even more goals. So the fact that there was the one Schalke fan in the stands <laughs> um, with 299 Dortmund fans. <laughs> yeah, who was um, escorted I, out because otherwise I it know. would have been torture. So, uh, yeah. you know, the, yeah, the yeah, human I mean, rights council was sent in to bring him out. <laughs> Amnesty International calls like, hey, you got to get him out of there. This is not fair. This is inhumane. <laughs> um, no, but it's just they they can be thankful that the atmosphere is what it is. And Schalke fans, you can be thankful you didn't spend money to watch this piece of shit team. So uh, you're welcome in that sense, because ugh, yeah, I actually kind of feel bad for Schalke fans. Well, let me rephrase that. After what happened to Mukuku, I don't really feel bad for Schalke fans. Yeah, no. So there you go. No, Get relegated. Um, I, I, you deserve I, it. I, I don't have a <laughs> an ounce of pity with me. Um, no, but uh, I think we should do mention that um, A, Dortmund uh, was there for the fight. They were certainly aggressive. Um, I think Schalke were a little too aggressive here and there with uh, stamping Dortmund players' feet all the time. I mean, Omar Mascarell got a yellow card and remained the only player of the entire game with the booking. And I think there were a couple more fouls, um, which probably deserved a yellow card. But, uh, you know, especially in the first half, Schalke were overly aggressive. I think that sort of abated as uh, time progressed. And uh, obviously, um, I, can, I, I think um, I should mention the substitutions that uh, Favre made because uh, he brought on Felix Paslak and Witzel um, for Reiner and Dahoud. And obviously... 
that was a pretty cool substitution, um, meaning the Paslak one because um, he just offered a lot more running and a lot uh, Guerrero to play higher up the field. So I think for the future that can uh, be a very good uh, substitution to really uh, invigorate the left side if you need it, just um, because Paslak likes to run into space, especially if he has like um, only 20 minutes left so he can really exhaust himself and... Uh, You could see that, especially a player like, uh, say, Delaney or Hummels, who have, have these uh, switches of place in them. Um, you know, if you open up the space in some way or some form, uh, Felix Passer can be a real weapon as a left back. And I think um, he'll be able to play the same thing as a right back. Um, also positive to see that uh, Matteo Moret made his first cameo this season. Uh, ten minute one for uh, um, for uh, Thomas Meunier. So I think... Uh, it was good to see him, um, and I think you know the time he played looked looked pretty solid. Um, so, yeah, I, I I wanted to mention that, and obviously uh, it's a big boost for Dortmund also that uh, Torgen Hazard is back and the 13 minutes he got, he looked quite lively as well. So Matthias, um, I think after the horrible day in Rome, this was. Uh, really a nice uh, time for Dortmund and I was a little fearful that Dortmund could act as the slump buster but this time it was actually Schalke so um, that means Dortmund now go all invigorated with a nice boost into the next Champions League time uh, tie against Zenit so um, this is obviously a game I'm looking forward to because uh, <laughs> it's a home game <laughs> so uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm more optimistic Uh, naturally, um, what are you expecting now from um, Dortmund in the Champions League against Zenit, who I think lost their first matchup against Club Bruges and then uh, lost to Rubin Kazan uh, this weekend? Yeah, I mean, Zenit are a little bit on a slump, but I also said that about Lazio. <laughs> I mean, they were a little bit inconsistent. <laughs> But, you know, Tanit has been playing a little bit longer. They started the season kind of like a house on fire. Uh, and then it's really been down for the most part uh, since they lost to Dynamo Moscow. They are sitting third in the uh, Russian League table, wedged in between all the Muscovite teams. Uh, Spartak, CSKA ahead of them with Lokomotiv and Dynamo right behind them. Um, I mean, they, they're the big money club, theoretically, in uh, the, the Russian League. They've got a few players we may remember. Um, you know, they, they have Douglas Santos, who used to play for Hamburg. So there's that. <laughs> they have Dejan De Lovren, who obviously, as a Dortmund fan, you don't like to remember uh, from the Europa League. Don't mention it. Um, <laughs> and, then, you know, they've got a few decent, you know, uh, young players. Uh, they've got, uh, trying to see here. Um, they have Ar Wendell. They, they have who's pretty good. They have Atim Zuyuba, or I don't know how you actually pronounce him, but I Atim Juba. Juba. Juba? Yeah. Any anywho, yeah. he uh, I, I I watched the uh, game against Bruce a little bit, and he to me looks a bit like uh, uh, <laughs> the next Yamolenko. Um, he is a very tall striker or midfielder, um, very technically gifted. Um, very lumbering run, um, but someone that certainly can impose himself on defenders and um, yeah, didn't have his best game against Bruges, but I, I saw the potential of what he can do. Um, not that I want him as a Dortmund player. I don't think uh, 
his profile necessarily no. fits the black and yellows as uh, one Yamolenko, I think, underscored. But uh, that being said, um, someone to watch out for because, um, you know, he is a good holdup player and uh, he seems to be also very smart footballing IQ. I mean, I'm only going off of one game that I watched, but um, yeah, uh, some someone I wanted to highlight because... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I certainly recognized that he um, can can do some danger, not uh, the way that Zenit played necessarily against Bruges, because um, just the entire build-up play wasn't good enough, simply. Um, I think this is probably uh, where their big problems lie. Um, uh, I think Barrios in midfield and uh, Ozdoyev um, didn't really um, yeah energize uh, this Zenit team as they arguably should have been um, and yeah I think Bruges were very solid very clever I mean yeah they had this one on goal which was a little idiotic by the goalkeeper but uh, in the in the end they, they still won and uh, you know it was a little um, fortunate to win in like the 93rd minute or whenever it was but it wasn't undeserved so, um, yeah, Zenit obviously now on the back foot already, uh, but so are Dortmund. Um, um, yeah, Dortmund have played Zenit before. I mean, we all remember Axel Witzel playing for Zenit against Dortmund. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's not like I'm the big Russian football expert, but uh, I'll, I'll confidently say that uh, this should be a rather easy game for Dortmund because then it are not that well organized at the back. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Dejan Lovren, he can be great or he, be, he can be horrific. Kitsky, Netska, I mean, it's not, they're not exactly blessed with pace centrally. Um, they'll probably line up again in a 4-1-4-1 type formation. Keep Barrios kind of as that shield ahead of the, the central defenders. Douglas Santos is a pretty good fullback, but he has his defensive liabilities. Um, and, you know, he'll be on the left side, so he'll be matched up on the Meunier side, which is obviously um, not necessarily bad because you'll have the Meunier cover and then probably Sancho attacking Santos. So I think, uh, you know, Zenit uh, can be gotten, especially in Dortmund, which does help, not just in times of COVID, but just in times in general. You know, if you don't have to go to St. Petersburg, uh, in the in fall or winter, that's usually a good thing. Uh, it's it's a long it's a long trip, and it tends to be a little chilly, and the pitch always tends to be rather uh, an issue. <laughs> so I, no, this definitely plays into to Dortmund's favor and Dortmund's hand because, like I said, Sinit coming off of that loss to Ruben Kazan, Ruben Kazan is not a good side. Um, so I'm not saying Zenit is going to be, it's not going to be Schalke. I mean, they're definitely going to have chances. They're definitely going to, um, create some opportunities, but I agree with you in the sense that, uh, Dortmund should win this match. I feel more confident with them beating, uh, I almost said Ruben Kazan, uh, Zenit San Petersburg than I was them beating Lazio, even though I was relatively confident, but that match just completely fell to pieces so fast. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen here. Well, also just because Dortmund are a completely different beast at home in the Champions League. You know, I've, I went through the record last episode, how horrendous the road form are, uh, is. Uh, on on the other hand, Dortmund at home have mostly really great games. I mean, the the scoreless draw against Barcelona was almost a pity that they didn't win it. I mean, they even had a penalty 
etc. But um, you know they've pounced Atletico. Um, they came back against Inter in, in in great fashion. You know they've repeatedly beaten Real Madrid. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'll, I'll be honest. This should not be a you know this should not be a nail biter. I think this Dortmund side will probably put Zenit away three nothing, four nothing, something like that. Um, just because. They um, need to show in reaction still. You know, that was sort of the theme going in the Revier Derby. But I'm, I I think um, you need to show the reaction also in the same competition. Um, and uh, now you have ample opportunity to do that. And obviously not having to travel helps a really big way. And uh, yeah, Favre also can rotate a little bit. Um, but I don't know if he will. Um Obviously, the, the Bielefeld match is coming up, which we will talk about in the next episode on Thursday. So we'll be out by Friday by the latest, um, Matthias. But uh, if you would make changes to the lineup, who would you change? Where would you make the switches? Well, I guess it really depends on individual fitness. Um, you could consider starting Paslak in place of Thomas Meunier. Uh, depending on where you weight things, is it the Zenit game or the Bielefeld match? That's one that I could see. Um, I expect to see a few more minutes for Togan Azad. Maybe this is the kind of match where you bring in Marco Reus and you play him instead of maybe Gio Reyna. So you have a Reus with Julian Brandt type situation. I think those those could be possible ones. I don't see a change in the double pivot. Oh, so stick, just are you sticking sense. with the back, back four? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No, I would definitely stick with the back four at this point because you have no Emre Can. Um, I wouldn't necessarily risk it with, with Pischek at this time. The back four played very, very well against uh, Schalke. And with the amount of substitutions you can make, you can still switch it to a back three uh, depending on how the match unfolds. But I think I, I would just stick with the same formation uh, like they had against um, Schalke and then just go from there. Yeah, I wonder if uh, when uh, Favre plays Royce, whether he will actually take Brandt out and then you have uh, um, Hazard or Reyna and, and Sancho in the wings and then sort of just play the, the old Favre 4-4-2 where um, Royce obviously drifts off a little bit of Farland. This is something I could see, you know, the old 4 4 Favre system. It felt like the uh, back three and back five, they was playing for a little force, and uh, for some reason it didn't quite kickstart uh, Dortmund season as much as uh, they would have liked. And uh, Favre, I think, had planned to switch to a back four anyway, and now he's uh, gotten his wish, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see... Something like that happening. Obviously, Dortmund can also play with a 4-3-3 system or something like that. Um, because, let's be real, the uh, flexibility Dortmund have right now is really, um, really great. It's maybe where uh, <laughs> what we were talking about during the Tuchel era a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also just very happy with all the options that Dortmund have where I feel like they can competently switch around. Because in the past, that was often an issue, especially in the, in the club time, where it was often a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 system. But there was rarely a back three applied. And uh, now Dortmund has evolved over. I mean, it's been a long time, but uh, 
you know, over over the uh, Stöger and Bosch and Tuchel era. Um, now under Favre, definitely they are a team that are very comfortable playing different systems. And I think now they also have a squad that's really well set up for various systems. Obviously, um, you could add a couple more defenders, um, you know. So when Ajan or Zagadou are out, then, you know, it's already tricky with the back three. But, um, you know, it's also not that you can completely forget about the system right now. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned with uh, Zenit's uh, intensity, whether they will actually be up for the game uh, and whether they will press Dortmund like they must if they want to have a chance and whether um, their, the gaps between the players are tight enough for them to, to defend. Russian teams often have this problem where they have high amounts of individual, individual skill, but uh, the um, collective tactical aptitude isn't as high as it should be and hence they sometimes make weird positional errors that you should not make in the Champions League um, but that being said Dortmund on the road certainly have similar issues so um, yeah that's pretty much all I have to say about this game um, I really would like to see Hazard in the starting lineup if it were me just from a rotational standpoint but I'm pretty sure that he isn't fit enough to do that yet or at least play maybe one half or so um, because you really absolutely need to do uh, some job sharing on, on, on several positions. And I think so far Favre has done okay in that regard. Uh, how What do you make of the rotation machine so far? Overall, better than I expected it to be. Um, obviously, injuries, quarantine, stuff like that uh, hamper things at times. But uh, overall, I think he's managed it relatively well, and the squad depth is there to to do that. Aside from maybe the striker position, uh, that's that's you know you're concerned about central defenders. I have some concerns there too. I think uh, occasionally you'll have to give Holland time off, um, also for just the kid's own benefit uh, because he just doesn't have any quit in him. But then you lack just that option as another striker and that's that's to me is a bit of a concern the whoever you throw in there kind of a hybrid whether it's Nazar or a Royce or a Sancho is just not a striker and that to me is that's an issue I have no it's a it's a huge issue and I think Dortmund should have addressed it but uh, I think they also would have if uh, if it were financially feasible to be honest um, but it's uh, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Maybe in in the winter transfer window they'll try to do something like that. Uh, I'm also not entirely you know sure if you want to rely on Yusuf Mokoko already. <laughs> um, it's probably a bit much to ask, but obviously he'll um, get probably a couple of minutes here and there. Who knows? Um, <laughs> um, Lucien Favre knows that he uh, can trust young players and also Mokoku probably in, in that striker position is at least from a from his finishing skills should be ready <laughs> for the Bundesliga without a doubt um, but yeah I, I totally agree um, I mean Dortmund were a bit lucky that Hoffenheim were without Kramaric so um, they could afford to rest Haaland and, and Royce in that game and then bring them on later and sort of win it. But uh, yeah, in, in other situations, uh, if you can't play Haaland, Dortmund are really um, showing just how dependent they are on him. Um, yeah, so obviously they can still score and create goals without Haaland, but um, 
you can see that structurally it's a bit different. That's maybe something I wanted to mention in the derby because uh, Manuel Akanji said it post-game that uh, Haaland's uh, hold-up play with the ball is sort of improving from game to game, and I totally agree. I thought that there were several situations against Schalke where uh, if it weren't for him, uh, Dortmund probably wouldn't have dominated and controlled this game as severely as they did. And uh, so obviously that's also a really important skill to have against uh, teams like Zenit where you come up against very robust defenders and if you can manage to hold the ball uh, against these players then uh, yeah Dortmund should have a lot of uh, things going for them in a transition. I don't think that Zenit will just sit back and and try to low block the game like Augsburg or uh, or Schalke tried to, um, or, or Lazio for that matter. I just don't think that's really the kind of char- characteristic that's in the need. So I assume that Dortmund will actually score a couple more goals on the counter. So um, unless you have anything else to say, I'll just go ahead and, and predict the match, Matthias. Go ahead, wise sage. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm picking a 4-1 win for Dortmund. I'm going to be a little more conservative. I'm going a 2-0 victory for Dortmund. I just don't see that Dortmund's only scored two goals in this game. For, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> like the second I'm half, tired, Stefan. Yeah, but okay? the, I'm not sleeping much, so, you know. The, the second <laughs> half is, is way too long for Dortmund to not add a third. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how it is. And now that I've said it, they probably win 2-0. But, uh, yeah, I don't care. Anyway, Matthias... Uh, if you want to go back to sleep <laughs> with a newborn <laughs> around, if that's even possible uh, right now, you may now tell our listeners where to find you on Twitter once you're not in Twitter jail. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, I've been in, in Twitter jail twice. Uh, and the first time I have no idea what happened. I told people to go out and vote and mail-in ballots are safe. And all of a sudden my Twitter didn't work. I think, I think I'm sure that, that, that was a coincidence. Yeah, I think that actually was because um, it coincided with, with Twitter being down for many accounts. I don't think there was just a you gotcha. problem. But the, I see in here, I thought it was Russian hackers. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then I got put in Twitter jail because... Of the DFL, and it wasn't just me, Jan Agafjotov as well. Uh, we tweeted after the uh, Holland goal a GIF with him celebrating with Jaden Sancho, and it was a GIF taken out of a match sequence. And the marketing agency for the German Football League uh, basically, you know, cried to Twitter about a whole bunch of Twitter users, and everyone had their accounts blocked. Uh, for a while I didn't even know it because I didn't go on Twitter for a while and I went what what happened and so um, but yeah assuming I don't do that again uh, you can find me on Twitter (laughs) at Matiasuk yeah I I really know that uh, you know they do this on behalf of the TV rights holders and they are somewhat diligent about it if you tweet the wrong gif or video or whatever which is sort of spliced out of the feed especially if the watermark is still in there the algorithm or whatever will catch it or some guy sitting somewhere in an agency uh, scrolling through sort of tweets and whatnot um yeah this can certainly happen to anyone uh, so please be careful but uh, i'll say this again i don't think if you're a tv rights holder a gif on twitter should be your concern 
Um, I don't think that's the copyright infringement where you tend to lose money. I think the opposite is true. This is sort of the thing where you want people to highlight your product on social media and interact with the uh, multimedia world that we have these days. So, um, yeah, just just to just to Plus, say it on the record again, this is stupid. Yeah, and you could even make a legal argument for fair use because, um, I mean, a it was in the Twitter GIF library. Uh, I couldn't access it if it wasn't in there. And I tweeted about Holland scoring a goal for Dortmund, celebrating with Jaden Sancho, and the GIF was him scoring a goal for Dortmund with Jaden Sancho in the Bundesliga. That could be taken as fair use because I was speaking about exactly what was in that GIF in a roundabout way. But either way, I agree with you. It's completely ludicrous. I doubt ESPN lost millions in, of <laughs> revenue for people putting out a GIF of a, what, two-second goal celebration that I don't even know from which match it was. It's just stupid. Yeah, but uh, from a Schalke perspective, it was certainly unfair use. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, well... <laughs> Anywho, let's not uh, be that dead horse any further. And uh, let's just move on. You can find me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko and you can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook if you want to subscribe to our podcast. Please do that via YouTube. Just type in Yellow Wallpot and you will find this in video format. It uh, takes a little longer to upload and uh, for it to process then uh, it appears on iTunes, etc. But uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel pretty please. That certainly will help us. And obviously, like I said, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. Where you can subscribe to this podcast. All the various means and ways. And obviously you can contribute financially on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And if you want to find our written content, which I... I admit has been a little barren, but uh, I, as, as soon as I find the time, which should be very soon, uh, there, there should be more written content up. So look out for that. And obviously, uh, as always, thank you for listening. And obviously, thank you for sharing our content and uh, enjoying derby wins like the previous ones with us. And so, as always, goodbye and stay safe.